Good morning. Would you please stand with me for the reading of God's Word today? Our passage comes from Matthew 4, verses 1 through 11. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on a pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good morning, Grace. My name is Josh Havman. I am the executive pastor here. And if you were here last week, you heard Brooks speak and you heard him say, my back is in pain. Well, his back is still in pain and it is in fact worse than last week. He is waiting on an MRI, hopefully this next week. And so I thought it would be appropriate, in fact, maybe even necessary for us to spend some time praying for him as we start this morning. So I'm going to encourage you to, with your family or by yourself or uh, just with some folks around you, let's spend a minute praying for Brooks, and then we'll get started this morning. And I'll close here in a second. Go ahead and pray. Holy God, we lift up Brooks and Stacy Simpson to you. I pray that you would heal Brooks. I pray that you would give him relief from the pain in his back. Uh, help the MRI to diagnose. I pray the doctors would be able to use that to diagnose the issue and give him appropriate treatment. And Lord, I pray that he would be back with us soon. I know that he desires to be here, to be ministering, uh, to be proclaiming the word of God. And I pray that you would give him the opportunity to do that again soon. Give him health and strength and peace now, Lord, from his pain. I pray in your name. Amen. This morning, we are going to be looking at another of the questions in our series, Searching for Answers, Encountering Jesus. And as you might remember, Jesus has been talking to a number of people that he's meeting along the way as he's ministering. And these, have, these people have looked like you and me, a woman at a well, uh, Nicodemus, a man who comes to Jesus with questions. This week, however, we're going to look at a situation that's a little bit different. It's Jesus and Satan having a conversation, not our everyday experience, but one for Jesus, for sure. And we are going to address the question, what is evil? Now, this question isn't going to show up exactly in the conversation that Jesus and Satan have. Uh, John Y. just read the passage to us. Nobody ever asked that question, what is evil? But that is the question that Satan poses when he challenges, when he tempts Jesus a couple of different times. And so we are going to try and address that question, what is evil today? 
Everybody has an idea about what evil is, and it ranges. It's on a spectrum. Some of you, when I say, what is evil, your mind immediately goes to monsters and the stuff of horror movies and dark, nasty, sort of creepy stuff, right? That's what you think of when you think of evil. Some of you, when I say evil, you think very practically. You think people who murder and people who rape and people who uh, commit awful uh, acts, atrocities. That's where your head goes when we talk about evil. But we need a different definition because those in some ways, don't go far enough, and they go too far in others. And so we need, we need a biblical definition this morning for what evil is. So we're going to define evil, and we also need to define good, because evil is, in many ways, the opposite of good. It is not, however, the opposite of good in the way that the world often tempts us to think. You guys have all heard this narrative. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. But evil and good are opposite, equally opposing forces, and that whenever somebody who is good rises up, who is powerful, there's bound to be somebody who's evil who rises up. I should switch those hands, right? You guys are on the other side. Uh, who rises up and is evil, and they're, they're counterbalanced. That's not biblical, though. That's Star Wars, right? That's the force. That's not the truth. So what is the truth? The truth is that God is good, God alone is good. He is the definer of good. Why does God get to be the definer of good? Well, he's all-powerful. There's that. He exists before all things. He's the creator of all things. It's not just that he's earned the right. He is the source. From him comes everything. So from him comes the definition of good. So that's what good is. And evil is the rejection of God. It's the rejection of good. Because God is good. He is uh, goodness, righteousness, rightness, every other conceivable form of perfect. He is the goodest, if you will, the best. When Satan rejects God, he's rejecting good, and he is, in fact, living out, choosing evil. So in one sense, this is clear to us. That makes complete sense, of course. To reject God is evil. That's bad. We don't want to do that. But most of you have never been in the position where somebody has forced you to profess God. And most of you probably won't be. In some parts of the world, it is common for people who profess Christ to have their faith challenged in such a way that they live or die based on whether or not they say God is good. That's not the case here. For most of us, we're not being forced to say, yes, I confess God is good. We are challenged in other ways, in daily ways, in day-by-day, hour-by-hour, minute-by-minute ways. And so we want to look at those today because that's where our struggle is. So that's what we're going to look at. We're going to see each time that Satan offers evil, Jesus is going to choose good. Should be no surprise there. Uh, But we're going to study those interactions because not only is evil the rejection uh, of God, but good involves relying on God, and we need to look at how Jesus does that. So I've already asked you to pray once. I'm going to ask you to pray one more time. This time it's for me. I don't do this very often. Let's pray a minute, and we'll get started. God, I praise you for this opportunity to look into your word this morning. I praise you for the opportunity that we have to study how you have laid the path for us, that you've shown us what is good, you've shown us who you are, and I pray that we would cling to that this morning, that we would reject evil, that we would hate it, in fact, and that we would love you. Uh, Help us, Lord, to see your truth this morning, I pray in your name. Amen. All right, I already gave away... The end, if you need to leave right now, you are free to do so. We have answered the question, what is evil? It is the rejection of God. Have a great Sunday. No, we're going to keep going. There are three opportunities for evil that we're going to look at in that Matthew chapter 4 passage, and they are these. Rejecting God's provision, rejecting his purpose or his plan, his will, and then third, rejecting the person of God, the Father. Uh, These are all temptations that Satan lays out to Jesus, and as you might imagine, like I said, he doesn't take the bait. 
And so we'll look at how he responds. And here's how he's going to respond, taking the opportunity for good, relying on God's provision and relying on his purpose and relying on the Father, his person. So that's where we're going. You can hold me to that. If I don't get to those points, you can accost me in the lobby afterwards, say, why didn't you talk about these three things? Six things, depending on how you look at it. So we're going to go back to this Matthew chapter 4 passage. Let's get in the text now and look at what uh, Jesus and Satan are talking about when this, when this transpires. So Jesus is led by the Spirit into the wilderness. He's tempted. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he's hungry, as would we all be. And the tempter comes to him and says, If you're the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. And Jesus answers, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. The temptation that Satan offers here is not just about food. And we know it's not just about food because Jesus doesn't respond just about food. What is Jesus' response? It's man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus gives us the indication that there's something going on here that's bigger than food. If it were just about food, his response would be different. This is a temptation from Satan to reject God's provision. In this case... Satan says, Jesus, you're hungry. God has not provided for you. And it's not just the food that he's not provided, Satan is saying, but he's not done good things for you, Jesus. Look, here you are on earth. You're the son of God. Your, your life should be better than this. He should have provided more for you. You're lacking. This is one temptation to reject God's provision. This is one temptation to evil. We know another one. Satan has used this trick before. He is the father of lies, but he's only so inventive. Right? He keeps coming back to the same ones. See if this sounds familiar. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field. This is Genesis 3. Uh, any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And the serpent says to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. This isn't about hunger either. Satan isn't tempting Eve because she's hungry. In fact, Eve is in a position of wealth. Eve is in a position that most of us are in. We have an overabundance. We have a lot. And Satan is saying to Eve, but do you really have enough? Didn't God make that other tree he told you not to eat from? Shouldn't you think about that one? And so he's actually tempting Eve in the same way that he's tempting Jesus. With Jesus, it's a lack. And he says, out of your lack, don't you think God hasn't given you enough? With Eve, he just flips it around and he says, in your abundance, isn't there more? Couldn't God give you more? She has all of paradise. Adam and Eve have all of the fruit trees. She even acknowledges that. We can eat of any tree in the garden except for this one. Satan says, doesn't that one, doesn't that one look good? Shouldn't you eat from that tree? This is evil. This is a rejection of God's provision. This is how it looks in our lives. Imagine yourself sitting at home. You have furniture. You're not sitting on the floor. Anybody lost? No? Okay. You have things on the walls. You have things on the shelves. In fact, you probably have so many things that you have a garage and possibly a storage unit for all of your things. And what do you like to do with your spare time? I wonder what's on Amazon for sale today. I have rejected God's provision. I know that he has given me all kinds of good things. But now I want to shop for more because, you know, I like to shop. That's Eve. Or your stomach is full, right? Even on a holiday, think of a holiday when you have eaten more than you should have eaten. Where do you find yourself? With the refrigerator door open? Thinking, I could eat. That is a rejection of God's provision. And that's how evil starts in our lives. 
It doesn't start with somebody walking up to you, knocking on your door, or walking up to you on the street and saying, do you reject God? It starts with the temptation to say, God has not given me enough. Or, God has given me a lot, but it's not the, th- the thing I want. It's not the stuff I want. And so evil, which according to the biblical definition is spoiling, is breaking down, is unmaking, evil begins to wreak havoc in our lives in this way. Here's where it goes. The next temptation, the devil takes uh, Jesus to the pinnacle of the temple and he says to him, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down, for it's written, he will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands, they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus says, again, it's written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. What's the test? What is, what is Jesus being tempted to do here? The purpose that God has for Jesus is that he suffer and die. That's the purpose that God has for Jesus. The purpose that Satan is suggesting is, Jesus, you don't need to suffer and die. Why don't we do this? Why don't we throw you off the pinnacle of the temple, which is in a busy part of town. People are going to notice if there's a body falling off the temple. And you know what else they'll notice? They'll notice that there's a bunch of angels that come and surround you and sort of float you down, right? You guys know the sort of vision of the angel choir and light from heaven and all these like big giant angels flapping and sort of descending with Jesus. Like that's sort of what Satan is proposing here. Do you think people would notice that Jesus was different than everyone else if that happened? They would. Yeah, they would notice that Jesus had come in power, that he had authority from God. It's a different purpose than the one God has planned. God says, suffer and die. Satan says, why not be glorified now? Why not be recognized now without all that suffering and dying? And it comes from, right, it's built on this idea that God has not provided good for you to begin with. We get to this place where we think this temptation ought to be considered that God's purpose for me maybe isn't good because maybe his provision for me wasn't good. Here's how it works out with Eve. We're going to go back there again. The serpent said to the woman, you shall not surely die. Remember, Eve had just said, we can't touch it, otherwise we'll die. That was her addition, by the way. God just said, don't eat of it. The serpent says to the woman, you shall, you shall not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. And so when the woman saw the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and the tree was to be desired to make one wise, we know what comes next, we'll get there in a second. But she considered it. She considered that the purpose that she might have for herself could be better than God's. This is what's going on. She's doubted his provision and now she's begun to doubt his purpose for her. His purpose for her is that she not know the difference between good and evil. That was God's original purpose for mankind. He said, Adam and Eve, I'm going to put you in paradise. I'm going to surround you with all of the food that you need. I don't want you to know the difference between good and evil. I just want you to know me. I'm going to walk in the garden with you. I'm going to live right now with you, and we're going to have communion, and this is good, and this is what I want you to have. And she is being tempted to reject that for her own purpose. And Satan, he lies to her. Straight up, he says, you won't die, which she will. Not in that moment, but she will now die because she's eaten of the fruit. And this purpose will, in fact, open her eyes. She will kind of be like God and that she'll know the difference between good and evil. But she's going to know it experientially. She's going to die. And she's going to know evil firsthand because it's going to unmake her. So this is the temptation. Again, this doesn't look like that in our life. Most of you, I don't think anybody's had Satan show up offering anything, right? We can talk later if you have. But most of you have had this temptation build in your life where you start to question whether or not God has given you good things. Has he given me enough money? 
Has he given me the spouse that I want? Has he given me a spouse at all? Has he given me children? Has he given me the right children? I got the right children, by the way. You doubt that, and then you start to doubt the purpose that God has for you. He didn't give me the money I want, didn't give me the spouse, didn't give me a good practice last week, didn't give me a win last week, and now I don't know that the purpose he has for me is good. I better choose my own. And this gets all out of whack in our minds. We start to love things, right? We start to love resources. When, when we think that God is not giving us good resources, we start to hold on to them, and we start to build our purposes around them. The Bible very clearly says that the love of money is the root of all evil. And it very clearly says that you can't serve both God and money. Jesus says that, in fact, directly. But our whole heart and life gets built around money. It gets out of whack. Our purposes are are broken down. God's purposes are broken down. And our purposes are evil. And that's what what we choose for ourselves. And And it comes in very small and sort of insidious ways that you would not expect. I'm going to give you an example this is the thing that will be remembered from this sermon. I can guarantee it. I know it, in fact, because I used this example last sermon, and already people are accosting my wife. Already they're talking to her, and they're saying, are, are you awful people? I like dogs. I promise, I like dogs. But our society has begun to value puppies over people. Pets over people. It's true. Maybe it's true with some of you. Tell me if this sounds familiar. Uh, a man and a woman couple get together, and uh, they get married, and they're joyous, and they decide to settle down and have a pet. <laughs> sound about right? Yeah, that's what's going on, right? That's what happened with my wife and I. We got a dog. It was great. We liked the dog. We walked the dog. We had a lot of fun to, together with the dog. And then we had uh, son number one, and then we had son number two, and we happened to be living in a small space. We happened to be working full-time at a boarding school where there were lots of other kids around. And it was a bad environment for us to have a dog. And so we looked for, we looked hard for somebody to give the dog to and nobody wanted to take the dog. And so here's the evil part. Here's why you're going to hate me. We put the dog in a shelter because we prioritized our family over the dog. And in this culture, in this society, that's awful. That's evil. That's a purpose that's bad, that we made that choice to prioritize our children. There's greater moral clarity in this culture about how that was bad than that prioritizing your children is good. You can remember, aren't you? You think I hate dogs, don't you? (laughs) It's not true. But that's how this happens. That's how evil unmakes, how it corrupts, how it spoils. It's not somebody knocking down your door necessarily. It could be. It's not somebody knocking down your door and saying, do you believe in Jesus? It's somebody saying, you should just not do that whole family thing. Get a pet instead. I am not saying, don't hear me say, that if you don't have a family and you have a pet, you're evil. Just put that over the side. Where does it go? It goes to rejecting God himself. So if we start with questioning God's provision for us, We say, God, you haven't given me good things. And we start to then question God's purpose in our lives. God, it's not heading where I think it should go. I think I know better. It will end up at questioning God himself. Here's where Satan sort of drives it home. He says, fine, Jesus, uh, you aren't taking the bait, but I'm going to try and sell this line to you anyway. God hasn't given you good things. He doesn't have a good purpose for you. If you just worship me, Satan says, 
I'll give you everything that God says he's going to give you, which is a lie, which is evil. And yet, that is what Satan leads Christ to do, and that is where we are led as well. It's where Eve is led. Eve sees that the food is good. Here's a provision that's good. God didn't give it to me, but I've named it good for myself. It's a delight to the eyes. It's to be desired to make one wise. Now she wants a purpose for herself that God has not given her. And then she eats of it, and her eyes are opened. Immediately she knows that she has tried to place herself up next to God, and she feels shame. That's why uh, she knows she's naked and she sews fig leaves, she and Adam, together, right, to make themselves loincloths, because they are ashamed of their sin. They know that they've tried to elevate themselves. Here's what's happened. Evil has taken root, it's taken hold, and now it's corrupting completely, and now you're rejecting God. What did I say that evil was? It's the rejection of God, and this is what's happening. And this is how it builds. And this is how sin works its way into our life and evil corrupts and evil destroys and evil spoils. So let's go back through this one more time before we start talking about what Jesus does. If evil is the rejection of God, when Jesus encounters evil, what does he do? How does he respond? He's going to rely on the Father. Jesus is going to say, I don't, re- I don't reject the provision you've given me. I accept the provision you give me. I don't reject the purpose you have for me. I'm going to rely on that purpose. I don't reject you, Heavenly Father. I'm going to rely on you, Heavenly Father. Let's go back to his answer in Matthew chapter 4 in the first few verses there. In verse 4, Jesus answers Satan, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Remember I said to you, it's not just about hunger. Yes, Jesus is hungry. Yes, he wants food. Remember when John read this passage, it ends with the angels ministering to him. We think they probably gave him food, right? They're they're meeting his needs. So yes, he's hungry. It's not just about hunger. Jesus doesn't just live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. What does that look like? What does it look like to depend on God for our provision and rely on him for our provision? In John 4... Okay, this is the passage that Brooks preached on last week. In John 4, Jesus talks to this woman at the well, and right after he's done speaking with the woman at the well, here's what happens. The disciples come. They've been out buying food. And they say, just, they say, Rabbi, eat. We've got food for you. And he says, I have food to eat that you don't know about. And they're like, what? Somebody give Jesus food on the side? Like, well, what's going on here? And he says, no, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Jesus is fed... We are fed when we do the will of the Father. We meet that need. When we start to question our provision, when we start to say, God, have you really really given me good things I'm lacking? Or I have an abundance, but I don't have the exact thing I want. Right? We're rejecting God's provision for us. Jesus says the answer to that is to do the will of the Father. What's the will of the Father? To love as Jesus loved, to give the gospel as Jesus gave the gospel. That's what he just got done doing, is sharing the gospel with this woman, telling her what life is, and telling her how she can have eternal life. And he is fed by that, and we can be too. So here is the counterintuitive way to feel better about your provision. Give it away. If God is giving you eternal life, give it away. That's going to feed you. That's the will of the Father. If you are questioning what God has given you in this life, give it away. Physically, yeah, sure, give your resources away. Feed the poor and minister to the sick. But also, share the gospel. That's what Jesus says feeds him. It will feed us too. And it will keep us from doubting his purpose. 
If we are constantly giving away the gospel, we are going to see the fruit of that in the lives of the people we give it to and in our own lives as well. So give it away. When Satan takes Jesus then to this pinnacle of the temple and he questions God's purpose, Jesus says, Jesus says, don't put your God to the test. He says, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. What does he mean by that? Here's what he means by that. Submit yourself to the Father. Testing God is, in, in, in fact, saying, God, I have a purpose that's better than yours, and let's just, let's just see if my purpose isn't better. That's what it means to test God. It means to go a different direction, reject God, evil, and try something else and say, God, your, your good is not good. In fact, my good is better. And Jesus says, no, the way that you rely on God and rely on his purpose is to submit yourself to him. Look at how he teaches the disciples to pray. Starting in verse 9, he says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Submit yourself to the heavenly Father. Praise him for who he is. His name should be hallowed. And then seek his kingdom. Seek his will, not your own. So when your purpose is getting in the way, submit yourself to the Father. Pray like this. Give us this day our daily bread. When you're concerned about your provision, ask God for the provision that you need, like the forgiveness of your debt and helping you to forgive others. So the response here, right, is one of prayer. This is how we rely on God when our purposes are running counter to God's. We don't test him, we submit to him. So we give the gospel away when we're concerned about provision. That helps us to feel full and complete. And then when we're questioning purpose, we pray and we submit to the Father and we say, God, please do what we can't do. Please let your will be done. And then this keeps us from rejecting the person of God, which is what Jesus does, right? So capably, he says, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Satan says, I'll give you all of the kingdoms of the world and their glory. Just bow down to me. Just worship me. Because Satan knows, whether we know it or not, that we are creatures made to worship. We are designed to worship. So we're either going to worship the one true God, ourselves, or some other idol. Those are the only three options. And you could argue that two of them are the same because we make ourselves idols. So that's, that's it. That's all you get. Worship God or worship an idol. It might be you. And Satan says, what about me? You know, worship this idol over here. And Jesus says, no, you worship the Lord and serve him only. And so to do that, to worship God, we have to constantly be reminding ourselves who he is and what he does. And the best place, believe it or not, to find out who he is and what he does is here. And so I want to read to you this morning from Revelation chapter 5 about who Jesus is, about who God is and what he does. So if you want to follow along, I'm in Revelation chapter 5. If you don't want to follow along, you can just listen, but you know, you're going to have to trust me. This is John writing, saying, Then I saw in the right hand of him who is seated on the throne. That's God the Father seated on the throne. This is who God is, okay? This is who we worship. I saw seated, uh, I'm sorry. Then I saw in the right hand of him who is seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven and on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. There's no other God besides our God. And I began to weep loudly, John says, because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And then one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered 
What did he conquer? Evil, death, destruction, despair. Jesus has already won the battle. He has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God. And seven here just stands for perfection, right? And it's repeated so that we know it's perfect. God is perfect. And Jesus went and took the scroll from the right hand of the Father, him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And then I looked... John looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the voices of many angels, numbering myriads and myriads, or thousands upon thousands, ten thousands upon ten thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who is slain, to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and in the sea, and all that is in them, saying, To him who sits on the throne and unto the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. And we say what? How about Amen? Right? This is God. Can you you insert your name there? Can Can you stand before the throne of God and expect the four living creatures, creatures with multiple faces and, and uh, eyes covering their body and wings, right? And all of this multitude of the elders of the saints all standing around you worshiping you. Is that, is that what you imagine? Yourself? That's, that's who God is. So you need to remind yourself, if you want to worship the one true God, you need to remind yourself who he is. He's conquered sin and death. He is good. He is not evil. He is good. And we need to remind ourselves who he is. One more little passage here from Revelation to remind us who he is. This is from chapter 21. I'm going to turn over there. Oh, I missed my, there we go. I'll get caught up. Chapter 21, verses 1 through 5. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more, and I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, and neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he was seated on the throne, God the Father, said, Behold, I am making all things new. And also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. That's good. That's what God is doing. That's what he has done. That's who we can trust in, not ourselves. If we trust in our own provision and our own purpose and make ourselves God, it will end in death. But if we trust in him for his provision, if we trust his purpose, his plan, his will for our life, and we trust in the person of God, then we will have life. And we have to remember to worship because we were made to worship. All right. So if evil is the rejection of God, when Jesus encounters evil, what does he do? He does these things. He relies on the Father by giving the gospel, sharing it just like he did with the woman at the well. He's he's tempted to doubt God's provision. He says, no, no. It's not just food that we eat. It's not bread, but doing the will of the Father, right? Every word that comes from the mouth of God, that's what sustains us. And Jesus says to give the gospel. He says, pray that his will will be done. 
That's how we submit to the Father. That's how we rely on the Father when we question whether our purposes are good or not, uh, whether the things that he's given us are good or not. And then finally, we worship with our whole heart and life. This is how we, this is how we live in a way that's right with God. We worship him. We don't reject him. We worship him. We don't place ourselves on the throne. We worship him. I want to leave you with a. Uh, I want to leave you with an analogy. Um, we'll get to that in a second. If you want to start doing that now, because you're bored with my analogy, I understand. I just clicked too early. You weren't supposed to see that slide yet. Think about this. If somebody asked you to cook spoiled soup on a broken burner, how would you feel about that? If somebody said, "Here's some water. I'm going to I'm going to put some rotten fish in it and some chicken that's been sitting on the counter for two and a half days." and maybe some vegetables that are starting to mold, and I want you to cook this on this stove that's broken, how would you feel about that? Not great. That seems like an impossible task to make food from that. And that's where we feel like we are often in our lives, where we feel like we've been given bad stuff, spoiled soup, and the equipment that we have is broken, and we can't use it well. And we think that that's God's fault. That's how we get to the place where we are contributing to evil in the world because we question his provision for us and his purpose for us and then we just start to question him outright and place ourselves in his spot outright. But if we have bad stuff in our life, if we have bad purposes in our life, I guarantee it's because we chose them. When we have baptisms here at Grace, we always ask the person who's being baptized a couple of questions. And the first one we ask is, are you by nature and choice a sinner? And the nature part is what we read about with Adam and Eve. Uh, The Bible says in Romans that sin came into the world through one man, through Adam, because he chose sin. And so that's why sin is ours by nature, but sin is also ours by choice. We choose it. Even though God is constantly giving us good gifts, even though he has surrounded most of us with blessing like he did Adam and Eve in the garden, they literally could eat from every tree except for one, and it was still not enough. Right? And we'll choose the one tree that we can't eat all the time. We will make that choice. So we are choosing evil as well. And so if you see this situation in your life, if you see that you've got bad stuff and you're, you're trying to cook that spoiled soup on a broken burner, know that you've made choices that have led you there. It's not God's doing. He's good. He is the lamb. He was slain for you. He died for you. And all you have to do to receive his gift of eternal life is believe. No work required. He does all the work. He conquers evil. If you need help doing this daily, I encourage you, we're here now, to do this. I'm going to take out my phone and not really do it because I did it during first service, but I'm going to give you the permission to take out your phone. If you have not signed up for our, our um, devotional series for the fall, I encourage you to do that. And text the word answers to the number 94253. So literally, if you want to do this and you think you might want to do this, get your phone out now if you don't already have it out because, you know, I know I'm not that exciting. You were scrolling. I get it. Text the number, I'm sorry, text the word answers to the number 94253. You'll get a daily devotional and it will help you. It'll help you to focus on what God has provided, uh, what his purposes are and who he is so that you can keep from evil, because we want you to keep from evil. We don't want you to feel like you are constantly tempted. God has given us this body so that we can be mutually encouraging to one another. This is one way that we can encourage you, but we also want you to be in community. We also want you to keep coming here, keep worshiping here, to do it in your homes, to do it in your everyday lives. We want you to do this because this is what God's plan is for you, and it's good.
Evil is corrupting. Evil is breaking down. Evil is unmaking. But this is good. And we want this for you. I'm going to give you one more, hopefully, word of encouragement. And it is from Romans. It's from Paul. Uh, If you would, I'm going to ask you to stand as we read this last passage. If you're able to, stand up. We're going to send you out this way. Most of you have have read or are familiar with Romans uh, chapter 12, where Paul talks about living a transformed life. He says, don't be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then he goes on to teach uh, the Romans that he's writing to what that looks like. And so here, starting in verse 9, Paul says, let love be genuine. Abhor, hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Give away the gifts that he has given you. He has provided for you. Trust that and share it with others. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Submit yourself to the will of the Father. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be haughty, but associate with the lowly and never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what you do to be honorable. Give thought that what you do is honorable in the sight of all. And if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. And then beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it's written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, Paul says, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you heap burning coals on his head. And this is how Paul ends this. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Because if evil is the rejection of God, then the antidote is God himself. So I encourage you with that word today. I pray that you would take that out. And uh, let me just pray for you as we send you out. God, holy God, you alone are worthy of our praise. Lord, help us to share what you have given us and to receive the nourishment that we need from that. Lord, help us to trust, uh, to submit ourselves to you, to lean not on our own understanding, Lord, but to trust in you with our whole heart and life and pray to you, Lord, and seek your will when our purposes are muddled, are confused. I pray that we would trust yours. And Lord, I pray that we would worship you and not ourselves today. Uh, Today and every day, Lord, help us to seek your face, to stand uh, before the throne in awe and in reverence and to worship you as all these will do at the final judgment and uh, at your final coming in glory. I pray that we would join with them now in worship in our daily lives. I ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Have a good week, guys. Go in grace.